calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Welcome to the serialized audiobook of The Starter, Season 3 of the Galactic Football League series, written and performed by Scott Sigler. The Starter is also available as an ebook and as an ad free, unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash The Starter. Quentin Barnes had never seen a real parade before. He certainly hadn't been in one, and most certainly hadn't been a guest of honor. Back on McCovey, the fundamentalist theocracy frowned on such things. There were processionals, sure, somber marches for the latest martyr, a funeral train for a past religious leader, that kind of thing. Long lines of people dressed in blue robes, chanting, swaying, self-flagellating, doing everything they could to show their grief and anguish lest a neighbor report them for not feeling enough grief and anguish. Not showing enough anguish might lead to an inquiry, probably an arrest, and, quite frequently, yet another funeral procession. There was no shortage of funerals in the purest nation. So Quentin Barnes had seen lines of people walking down a street, and he'd seen throngs of people lining the sidewalks, but never anything like this. So much color, so much noise, so much joy. Ionath City's rad-free dome was two miles in diameter. A full circle around Fifth Ring Road made for a trip of over three miles. Three slow miles. Even with a phalanx of riot-geared Quith Warrior police dishing out random beatdowns, adoring football fans were still climbing over barriers and running up to the 16 grav train cars that traveled down the road's center lev track. This is crazy, Quentin said to Don Pine, who sat on his right. I've never seen anything like this. Don nodded. He was smiling, waving a cupped blue hand with a practice motion. He called it his princess wave. You'll get used to this, Q. At least I hope you do. As many times as I've done this, it's hard to be jaded looking at all these happy faces. Just you wait until you win the big one. This is nothing in comparison. Quentin found it hard to believe he'd ever think of this teeming mass of sentience as nothing. The city had placed dividers down the middle of each two-lane road that ran along either side of the love track. That let orange and black-clad fans fill half the road, and the sidewalks beyond, and the diameter roads that ran deeper into the city. Every window in the red hexagonal buildings had several heads of various species sticking out of it. Kraken's flags flew everywhere, 
from the small, handheld kind to giant flags that were probably 10 feet high and 20 feet long. Banners, flags, pom-poms, foam fingers, foam pincers, foam tentacles, jackets, hats, jerseys. More orange and black than Quentin had ever known existed. INF City's Urban Dome normally held somewhere around 110,000 residents in claustrophobic closeness. Considering the dome was just about the only place most of the INF Kraken's players could breathe, that was where they held the parade, and that was where an estimated one million additional beings had packed in tight. Quentin felt an elbow bump on his left arm. He turned to look at Yitzhak, who sat in the seat next to him. Cue smile, will ya? Yitzhak said. Maybe try not to look like an anthropomorphic hayseed. Shuck you, Zach, Quentin said, but he smiled and waved. Hard to think that just hours earlier, there had been functioning roads, packed sidewalks, grab cars, taxis, trucks, and trains. Now, nothing but humans, heavy G, the three casts of Quith, some Key, and even a few Sklorno females all wrapped up from head to toe. Sentients lined the barriers at least a hundred deep. Quentin didn't know what anthropomorphic meant, but he did know the word hayseed. And that wasn't what he was. Not anymore. Don't worry about it, Don said. No one is here to see you anyway, kid. They're here to see their hero. Yitzhak laughed and stood, holding his T2 tourney MVP trophy high, waving it at the adoring crowd. Quentin had to smile at the third-string quarterback's exuberance. Zach was soaking up the moment. The Krakens had earned promotion to T1 with their semifinal win over the Texas Earthlings, while the Spider Bears had won their promotion with a semifinal victory over the Citadel Aquanauts. The actual T2 tourney championship game hadn't really mattered. That was why Zach had played. Both Quentin and Don Pine had set out the final championship game, as had most of the starters. The Spider Bears had done the same, fielding an entire team of backups. That was just smart football. Both teams had already qualified for Tier 1, let the starters rest up for the big time. So, Zach started the championship game, but he didn't care about starters or second string or third string. He'd played his butt off and led the Krakens to a win. The win meant a championship, and that meant a parade. Quentin, Don, and Yitzhak rode in the front seat of the second train car. Since INF City was domed, weather was always controlled, and all train cars were open air. Public transit train cars had seven rows of species-specific seats that always went in the same order. Quith Leader and Warrior, then Human, Heavy G, Key, and Sklorno. Human rows had five seats, Heavy G only three to handle the wider bodies. Sklorno rows had those strange abdomen-supporting seats the ladies required. Key seats were little more than flat beams that allowed the long creatures to rest their multiple legs. Quith workers had their own train cars, as they weren't allowed to use the same facilities as leaders and warriors. The three quarterbacks had a train car all to themselves. City leaders had wanted to stretch the parade out, so each of the 16 cars in the procession held three to five players or team staff. The car ahead of Quentin was the parade's lead car. It held three quith leaders. Coach Hokor the Hookchest, his yellow and black fur puffed up to full thickness, Greedock the Splithead, his glossy black fur as smooth and unruffled as ever, and an orange and black furred leader that Don had said was the mayor of INF City. The mayor apparently had white fur, but painted it up in Kraken's colors for the big parade. In the seat behind those leaders rode Shoto the Bright and Virak the Mean, who had returned along with Greedock. Quentin couldn't even look at them without feeling a simmering rage.
Both of the linebackers had casts on their legs. As tough as the two of them were, apparently there was someone tougher. Quentin thought he'd extracted Virac from goon duty, but apparently there was more work to be done. The linebacker's primary job was now football, but he was still dangerous enough that Greedock would use him whenever the situation demanded it. For a public event like this, Virac and Shota would stay close to Greedock, their leader, their Shamakath. Even Doc, the team's physician, participated in the parade. A member of the Hurrah species, Doc flew in slow circles around the lead car, his wide, stingray-like wings gracefully pushing him along. Orange and black streamers trailed from his tapered tail. In the train car somewhere behind Quentin were all of his teammates. Yasud, Mumo Killowee, Stockbridge, Denver, his fullback Tom Perilous, and dozens more. The sentience that had pulled together to put the Krakens in Tier 1. The players of the INF Krakens. His players. His, because now the team was his to lead. Don Pine had said so, passing the torch of leadership in front of High One and everyone else. And all of this screaming, adoring insanity from the fans? Don was right. This was just the beginning. If these sentients thought they were happy now, wait until Quentin Barnes rode down these streets, holding the Galaxy Bowl trophy high in the air. Like they did whenever there was a crowd, his eyes scanned the human faces, hunting for a familiar one, one he assumed he would remember but could not be sure. Quentin again felt an elbow hit his left shoulder. Itzhak leaned in close to Quentin's ear. Q, come on, Zack said. This is FaceTime for you. Pay attention to the crowd. I am paying attention. No, you're staring these sentients down like the linebacker is showing a blitz. This is part of the game, Q. We need to bring your popularity up so we can get you some fat endorsement money. I get paid plenty. Yitzhak threw his head back and laughed. Yeah, right. Who's your agent? I don't have one. Yitzhak leaned away, gave Quentin a funny look. Seriously? Quentin shrugged. Greedock bought my existing contract. I don't need an agent. Oh, Zack said. Brother, I'll make a few calls. I can help you. Quentin shook his head. Thanks, third string, but I can actually change my own diapers from time to time. Yitzhak waggled the MVP trophy in front of Quentin's face. Third string? Hey, C, just run your hands over this bad boy. Quentin took the offered trophy. It was rather nice. A wooden base with a thin chrome pole that supported a regulation-sized football made of faceted crystal. The trophy caught the lights from the sun high above sparkling with intense rainbow colors. Nice, huh? Quentin handed it back and nodded. Yep, I gotta admit, that's a pretty sweet piece of hardware. Damn right it is, Zack said. Now if you don't mind, I'm going to revel in my moment. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Yitzhak raised the trophy high in both hands, smiling and showing off for a crowd that roared in approval. Quentin sat, his hand waving like an automaton while his eyes went back to searching the crowd. And then he saw something that held his attention. Off to the right, on the outside of the ring road, a human wearing a Kraken's jacket. The man visually scanned the parade vehicles much the same way Quentin scanned the crowd. Not looking at something, looking for something, something in particular. Quentin laughed to himself. He was looking at the crowd like it was a defense. That human guy he just noticed, for example... The guy's eyes darted around like a linebacker hunting for an open gap, looking for a lineman's pointing foot to give away the direction of the play. And those two big humans in front of the linebacker man, they might be defensive linemen. Quentin stared closer. The two big humans, they held that same aura of intensity as the first man. And they were right in front of the linebacker man, one on his left, one on his right, positioned in front, just like blockers blockers that were about to clear a hole. Quentin had spent a decade working in the mines of McCovey, a place where people died almost every day, sometimes from round bugs, sometimes from the stone cats that lurked in the bigger crevices, waiting for a miner to stray too far away from the others. But most often, people died because they were killed by other people. Everything from vendettas to loan sharks making an example to basic theft gone wrong or, most often, simple arguments that quickly blossomed into honor fights. To stay alive, you had to learn to read people, read their faces, scan for bad moods, for desperation, for anything that could make one person want to kill another. Sometimes, Quentin had to fight. When he did, he made sure everyone understood that to step up to him was to get shredded. Most of the time, however, Quentin avoided fights because he learned to identify dangerous people and stay out of their way. The minds taught him that all the toughness in the galaxy is no armor against a knife in the back. And the purest nation had a lot of knives. Quentin lived through a decade in the mines, from five years old until he joined the McCovey Raiders football team at 15. Stayed alive because he knew how to read people. Read bad people. And that linebacker-looking human and his two blockers, they looked bad. Yitzhak, Quentin said. Let me hold your trophy for a second. No way, Yitzhak said. Know why? Because you're not the MVP, Q. Sure, you're the franchise and all that, but old Yitzhak is the... Quentin stood and reached to his left. 
His eyes stayed on the three humans, but his backhanded sweep plucked the crystal MVP trophy right out of Yitzhak's clutches. Hey, Yitzhak said, come on, give it back. Quentin just shook his head. The three humans pressed toward the barrier, to the line of Quith Warrior police. Quentin saw that the men would reach the barriers just about the time Greedock's train car passed their position. A hand on Quentin's right shoulder. Q, what is it? Don Pine again, but no humor in his voice this time. Quentin just nodded toward the men. Don looked, taking it in for a second. They trouble? Is who trouble? Yitzhak said. And can I have my trophy back, please? The two big humans leaned forward and threw Quith workers out of the way, picking them up and tossing them aside. Orange and black-clad bodies flew, some shoved away, some pushed down, some diving for cover. The closest cops, one Quith warrior, one key, turned to address the surging threat. Quentin took it all in, every detail, his brain suddenly as hyper-alert as it sometimes got in the field during games. The cops did everything right. They brandished shock batons, shouted warnings, moved to the barriers to use it as a partial shield. They did everything right to handle the two blockers, but they weren't ready for the third man. The two big humans jumped on the barrier and dove at the cops, catching stun batons full in the chest. Both humans shook from the electrical charge, but their momentum carried them over the barriers and into the cops, pushing the cops back just enough to create a seam. The first human squeezed through, hurtling the barrier like a running back jumping over a fallen lineman. Quentin stared, timing the man's run. His left hand held the crystal football, his right the chrome stand connected to the base. A quick bend, and the chrome post snapped clean. You jerk! Yitzhak screamed. What did you do that for? Quentin ignored his teammate. He dropped the wooden base, then held the MVP trophy up to his left ear, just like he'd hold a real football. He timed the man's movements, twisted his shoulders, and threw. Time slowed to nothing, an almost still-frame rendition of life. He saw that crystal football ripping 20 yards through the air, the tight spiral kicking off a rapid-fire sparkle of rainbow flashes. He saw the crowd, expressions seemingly frozen, some in joy, some in surprise, some in concern. The rainbow spinning ball hit the man in the forehead, shattering into a sparkling shower of crystal chunks that, for just a second, looked like an exploding daylight firework. The man fell to his knees, blood sheeting down his face. Doc swooped toward the bleeding man, flying fast, orange and black streamers trailing behind in a nearly straight line. The man's Kraken's jacket drifted open. Around his waist, Quentin saw the shiny reflection of plastic wrap, and beneath the wrap, several tubes lined up in neat parallels. A suicide bomb. In the train car ahead, Virak the Mean looked right, saw the man, then dove over the train seat in front of him and threw himself on Greedock and Coach Hokor. Quentin saw Doc reach the man, oblivious to the danger, the hurrah's mouth tentacles reaching for the fresh wound. Doc wanted to help. That was what he did. Quentin watched the man's weak, numb hands fumbling at his waist, saw dozens of cops rushing in, cops that wouldn't be alive in another few seconds. Down! Quentin shouted as he reached up and yanked Yitzhak to the floor. 
He didn't have to worry about Pine, because Pine was already diving over the seat back, deeper into the train car. The world filled with noise and crazy motion. The car normally floated an inch or two above the track. The explosion hit the car like a wrecking ball, knocking it to the left where it cleared the left track and crashed into the street. The car's left edge dug into the road surface, sending up a shower of sparks before it tilted, throwing Quentin, Yitzhak, and Pine over the pedestrian barrier and into the packed crowd. Quentin's solid weight crashed into a dense throng of bodies. He was up and moving almost as soon as he landed. This wasn't the first time he'd been near a suicide bomber. Those guys often attacked in teams. Life on McCovey had taught Quentin many things, but one thing in particular. On a football field, speed kills. But when bodies are blowing up around you and you need to get away, speed means life. Quentin ran. His seven-foot-tall, 380-pound athletic body a warning to any sentient stupid enough to get in his way. Quentin sat in a back room of the Blessed Lamb Bar, darkness surrounding him, except for the low light given off by neon beer signs and the glow of the holo juke. The juke's colored lights played off the steam rising from his plate of habanero falafel biscuits. He hadn't felt hungry, but he'd already eaten one plate and was two biscuits into his second. Comfort food, it seemed, lived up to its name. He didn't want to be here, here with these people, people that reminded him of the old life, the life of poverty, of constant threat, of subservience, the life of hatred. Yet when the bomb had gone off, he'd ran straight down Radius 8 to Ring Road 4, then circled back clockwise, up Radius 1 and to this bar, a place full of purest nation expatriates. He hadn't even thought about going anywhere else, like to the bootleg arms or to the Kraken's headquarters at the city center. At first, he told himself that he'd come here simply because it was close, that it was in the nightclub district. Had he been near the stadium, he surely would have fled to the Kraken's headquarters. But he would never know, because he hadn't run to the stadium. He'd run to the Blessed Lamb. He had run to his people, people that instantly took him in, sheltered him, and protected him. What did it mean that he'd come here first? Was he really over his racist upbringing, or was he only deluding himself? When things got dicey, did he just want to run back to what he'd always known? A man in blue robes quietly walked into the back room. Your teammates called, he said. Someone is coming to get you. Quentin nodded. Thank you, Father Harry. Father Harry nodded, then quietly sat down at the table. Father Harry, like most people from the nation, was no stranger to bombs or bombers. Father Harry came from the same messed-up culture that had made Quentin's childhood a living hell. Quentin, are you feeling better? Quentin nodded. You were both lucky and smart, Father Harry said. Smart to get out of there. Lucky because the reports are starting to come in. Fifteen sentients died in that blast, including eight police officers. Was the team doctor killed? Father Harry nodded. Quentin closed his eyes. He hadn't been great friends with Doc, but the hurrah had been the first non-human to touch Quentin, to talk to him face to face, one on one. Now Doc was gone. Quentin realized he'd never even learned Doc's real name. 
What about my teammates? Did any players die? Father Harry shook his head. Not that we've heard. A few minor injuries, apparently, but nothing life-threatening. Quentin nodded. There was nothing wrong with thinking of his friends first, his teammates. He didn't know anyone else in the city. Aside from Doc, the fifteen dead were faceless unknowns. Faceless, except for one thing. They included Kraken's fans. They'd come out to celebrate Quentin and his teammates, and now they were gone. Fifteen dead, and how many wounded? I should have stayed, Quentin said. Stayed, maybe help people, but I ran. Father Harry nodded. I see. Quentin, ask me if I've ever argued with an explosion. What? Go ahead, ask me. Ah, it was lesson time, and Quentin was not in the mood for lessons. Father Harry, I really don't want to. Humor me, Quentin. Out of respect for your elders. Quentin sighed. Maybe the people in the Blessed Lamb were racists, but they had always been kind to him. They had welcomed him, fed him, and now they had sheltered him. The least he could do was play along with yet another person who wanted to offer him advice. Father Harry, have you ever argued with an explosion? No, Quentin, I have not. Ask me why. Father, come on, you ask me why. Quentin rubbed his eyes. Father Harry, why haven't you ever argued with an explosion? Because an explosion can't be argued with, Father Harry said. What a stupid question. I can't believe you asked me that. Quentin rolled his eyes. The last part is a joke, Father Harry said. One of my favorites, actually. But the first part is no joke. You can't argue with an explosion, Quentin. Just like you can't argue with a bullet or the tip of a knife. Do you know the difference between a hero and a martyr? Quentin shook his head. A hero is alive, Father Harry said. A martyr is not. And since you don't seem to follow the teachings of Mason Stewart, you wouldn't even count as a martyr. You would just be dead. Now isn't the time for a lecture, Father. Father Harry smiled apologetically. No, no, of course not. And I'm not lecturing you. I am saying you made the right call. You can't even get a firearm into INF City. You can bet whatever explosives the bombers used, the city will have it analyzed and installed special detectors for it by the end of the week. The people of INF City felt safe. They didn't know what real terror was until today. On the other hand, that feeling of terror is something that you know all too well. You just keep listening to your instincts. Run when you have to, and you'll be fine. Brother Guido slid into the back room and flipped on the lights. He and his wife Monica Bassett owned the Blessed Lamb. Quentin, your friends are here, Guido said. Please get them out of my bar, now! Quentin stood and walked to the front room. Shoto the Bright and Virak the Mean were waiting. Even though the two each had a cast on one leg, their aura said that they were not to be messed with. The fifteen or so human patrons in the bar stared at the two Quith warriors, who stared back. The room seemed wired with tension. Quentin wondered at Father Harry's words and how hard it was to get a gun into the city, and wondered if the Purist Nation expats had found a way. If they did have weapons stashed, how long would it take for those weapons to become unstashed? The Quith warriors saw Quentin. They looked simultaneously relieved and annoyed. Quith warriors were good at that combined expression. Slightly different hues of red shaded their eyes. Quentin, Virak said. I am glad to see you're unhurt. Greedock wants you back at the stadium immediately. 
Good idea, Quentin said. Let's go. He almost pushed his teammates out the door, eager to get them out of the blessed land. He felt eyes boring into his back as he left. He'd come here for shelter, come to this place where the owners and the patrons deeply loved everyone, as long as everyone was from the purest nation. He'd come here seeking shelter, and he left with what his nationalite hosts considered the embodiment of evil. Maybe that was a discussion for another time. As Father Harry had said, you can't argue with an explosion, and Quentin considered an explosion far more reasonable than a religious zealot. You have been listening to The Starter, Season 3 of the Galactic Football League series. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. Produced by Ariok Morningstar with post-production by Steve Rickyberg. For more information on Scott and more free stories, go to scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song The Kids Are Coming For You by the band Superweapon. Superweaponband.com Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.